Welcome to Precept Responsibly, a podcast working to make precepting approachable over happy hour. I'm Jason Mordino. And I'm David Hughes. Let's get into some precepting. Hey, listeners. Welcome back to uh, Precept Responsibly. Uh, your host, Jason Mordino and David Hughes here. Uh, we're recording this in, in late July in preparation for, for August. It's turbocharging topic discussions for PGY2s. Uh, we, you know, acknowledge that every resident, student, PGY2, et cetera, has to do topic discussions. Um, they can be hard for preceptors. They can be hard for residents. Uh, how do we make that better? How do we turn topics into something that are uh, valuable for preceptors, but also uh, our, our residents? Uh, Dave and I wanted to uh, tackle that and, um, you know, bring on a guest that, that we both uh, love uh, for this because we, we have personal experience with them. Uh, Dave, who do we bring on again? Yeah, you know, and as as we were thinking about this this topic, you know, I, I think back to to my residency days and think back to like who did I really, you know, what, what did I take and how do I gear my topic discussions? I could think of no better person than Dr. Corinne Brady um, from Boston Medical Center, who is a, a mentor, a colleague, a preceptor to myself, nevertheless, and really showed me the value of good topic discussions and what that looks like not only um, for myself as a PGY2 ONC resident, but how she spreads the love across all her different types types of learners. So uh, we're happy to bring Corinne on uh, for tonight's episode. And, you know, before we start that, you know, we always said, you know, have, let's keep it casual, right? Let's let's do it with a, a drink in hand, alcoholic, non-alcoholic, whatever. Um, for me, I am drinking the heat wave, uh, courtesy of uh, Treehouse Brewery, which is a, a local be- uh, brewery out in Charlton, Massachusetts. Jay, what do you got in your in front of you tonight? Uh, I have an Exhibit A, uh, just a kitten. It's a New England IPA. It's delicious. Uh, it's great. It's uh, from uh, Exhibit A, which I already said, but uh, it's from Framingham, Mass., uh, another local brewery. Corinne, maybe introduce yourself to our listeners. What do you do? What you got for a drink? Sure. So thanks for having me. So I am Corinne Brady. I am the Infectious Diseases Clinical Coordinator at Boston Medical Center. Um, I am also the, <laughs> yeah, um, th- I am also the BGY2 residency program director for BMC and, um, yeah, so I've been here for, B- been a BMC for about six years now. So I'm not drinking a beer per se, but I am drinking a cider. So this is a creme brulee cider, um, from Highland, which is in Plymouth. So we're all drinking three. local beers. I'm going to say three for three on the Massachusetts front tonight. Yeah, when very in, good. When very good for this very hot weather out there today, or recently even. All right. So Corinne, one of the things that we really want to start to to gauge this conversation is how do you set up and run your topics? You know, there must be a, a method to your madness. I, you know, as a as a resident at BMC, I always looked up to your topics. I was fearful at first. Um, but once I got to know you a little bit more, I, I lightened up and, you know, slowly really gravitated. So can, can you give our listeners a, a sense of how you run your topic discussions and what you think is a successful topic discussion? Yeah, absolutely. So I think one thing I will mention that, you know, we always think of topic discussions as like that prepared one hour, you know, set aside time where we sit down and have a handout even or, um, you know, a discussion that's you know, been prepped ahead of time, but I also think of topics that I have on a day-to-day basis that are built within our patient discussions that I think actually are almost even more valuable sometimes than the ones that we set out and, and prep in that, you know, more longitudinal fashion of having those 
sit down discussions that have been really prepared for. But I think one of the one of the more unique experiences or even more challenging experiences are those that are built within our day to day patient discussions. Um, and so I think having those um, prepped out for the having the differentiation of the two, um, planning with the residents, the, the learners of all levels. So I'll, I'll, you know, talk that I do topics, obviously, with students, PGY1s, PGY2s, and, and differentiating those and what the expectation is and setting up those expectations ahead of time, I think are really important, but also incorporating patient-focused topics within each patient case every day, I think is um, what makes applying those topics to your patients really important. Um, so, so Corinne, ahead, how do you, how do you handle, um, when you like just run into a topic that like clearly the student resident, et cetera, isn't prepped for, like, how do you set that expectation for them and then help them like, know next time, like, this is how I want to run like this, like off the cuff topic is, is kind of, I guess what I'm calling it. Yeah. So the off the cuff topics, I think. <laughs> It depends on the expectation. So is this something I ask them to prepare for? Is something based on a patient discussion that morning? Um, then if they're not prepared, then sometimes I'll ask them follow-up questions and say, these are the things that we need to prepare for next time. Or is it something that I think is really important that they need to learn to take care of that patient right now that I can sort of lead? So I will have learner-led topic discussions and preceptor-led topic discussions and mini topic discussions. And I think that's sort of what can <laughs> make it all you know, a good experience for them. But if it's something that's really important, that's a concept they need to apply to their patient right now, and they may not have all the answers, I can sort of, you know, add that additional information that's going to be important. That mini topic discussion, I'll go to the whiteboard. I'm always the one that everyone makes fun of for having like, oh, you need a white, you know, you need a marker for the whiteboard. Here it is in my pocket. Um, so I can, you know, add to that discussion. If they're not prepared for that because they just didn't know to be prepared and it's something I think is important, we, we can just have it anyway. If it's, you know, to your point, if it's something I ask them to prepare for and they come in unprepared, then we'll just reschedule, you know, <laughs> yeah. okay, you don't have it. You don't have it ready. Well, then sorry about that. We can we can just schedule that next time. So yeah, I think back to having a funny visual in my in my head right now of Corinne Grass being a, um, a, a marker, like one of the dry erase markers and like just waiting for the point for someone to stop so she can run up to the whiteboard and <laughs> get all this stuff out. Um, yeah. <laughs> So it sounds like at the beginning of the of the rotation, let's say, for instance, you have any any type of resident learner student, um, you set the expectation that, you know, these are going to be topics that are going to be had or or is it more like, you know, a, a transitional approach where you um, it kind of hits them. It, it's like an eye opener at first where you start going into them and they and they start facilitating and getting more in detail. Or do you set it from the beginning and say, oh, you're expected to handle X, Y, and Z patient cases. And we're gonna be discussing these more in detail. Or do you kind of like yeah. let the conversation fly more naturally and in, in depending on the, the type of learner? Both, right? So like I have those that are set up, prepared, longitudinally timed. If we don't set them on the calendar, they don't happen because we're running around in circles all day long, those type of topics. And those are your like need to happen ID 101 for your for your first, you know, for your students, for your PGY1s that are taking ID for the first time, those are your community acquired pneumonia, UTIs, HAP, those, those topics you have to hit. And for your PGY2 level, I usually do it based on, you know, for your hemonc, it's your febrile neutropenia. For your PGY2, it's, it's the ESBL, it's the CRE, it's the things that you have to talk about in order for them to really grasp the concept of that they're, they're going to be seeing on ID consult rotations. But you can't really predict what's going to come up on the day to day. And so that's where you have those, okay, 
you're going to prepare these two patients today. And on those two patients, if you don't know how to, to treat them, you need to do a deeper dive and basically prep a topic discussion on those patients that morning. And we're going to have a discussion when we talk about patients at 9am. And so that's where those intermittent topic discussions happen within the day to day. So it's, it's definitely both. When I, um, when I think of Dr. Brady as like a, an educator, um, I think one of the things that always comes to mind is like data, 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 followed by more data with like some whipped cream data and a cherry data on top. Um, how do you balance that from like student to PGY1 to PGY2? And specifically, I want to hit home like like I know your PGY2s will like come out with like an 80 page manual um, of stuff. And so like, like how do you build that expectation in for them? How do you like, what is it that you do differently for your PGY2s to really make sure that, that like they're an expert on that topic when they're done talking to you? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I mean, even with students and your your student learners, I think it's important to let them know that including literature is important for their topics, for their even patient discussions and their topics. Um, but really, I set the expectation from the beginning that just including for students, for your for your early learners, um, understanding the guidelines is is really the basics. And then once they understand where the guidelines come from, which is your literature, um, that's kind of like above the expectation for me for for the student learners. PGY ones, it's, it's developing past the guidelines, especially if guidelines are older, they need to know recent literature. Um, it's setting those expectations up front. And then your PGY twos, they need to be able to teach it. Right? They can't just understand it. They can't just apply apply it, they have to then start to be able to teach it themselves. So that setting that expectation of understanding the literature, applying the literature, and then knowing when maybe the literature shouldn't be applied as well. And so coming in with that expectation, and we'll just set the very beginning that, you know, don't present a patient with recommendations unless you're using literature to support that recommendation. And then that becomes every patient ends up being a a some sort of topic discussion because you're bringing in literature, you're understanding guidelines, you're applying that. And then when you're doing those deep dive topics, those heavier topics, um, then you're bringing a lot more literature, you're going back and forth, you're having those, you know, over the last so many years, you're seeing how it's gone back and forth. Um, now, when you bring literature in, is it like, is the resident allowed to say like, oh, this trial showed this and then move on to the next thing? Or like, what do you do differently, I guess? <laughs> and they're allowed to say that if that's what they, <laughs> uh, this is a leading question. Cause I know the answer, but our audience doesn't know the answer. So I want to make sure they get it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, one of my learners not too long ago, one of my PGY2s, but had brought this, um, article in and said that I like debunked the article within the first five seconds and they brought it in and were like, oh, I have this, this new guideline and it's going to support all this. And, it, and I forget even what it was, but I was like, but look at this and how did they support this? And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. And like, went back. <laughs> and so I think it's like, not just reviewing it from a very superficial, you know, point of view, because again, we're applying this to patients. We're trying to make decisions, um, you know, change changing, making recommendations for patients. So it's, it's doing that deeper dive on the literature, um, using multiple, you know, I don't want to just hear about the Merino trial for ESBLs. I want to know what happened before the Merino trial that led them to doing the Merino trial, because it's been, it's been coming for a while that we were waiting on that. And then, you know, how are we applying that with, with everything else adding to it? So I think it's, um, I think it would 
do them a disservice if we didn't dive deep into not just that trial, but what else kind of went in around that same time frame. Again, these are these are learners who are going to be graduating as as we count down throughout the year. I'm sure they get tired of hearing it where I'm like, okay, well, you're going to be teaching this in this many months from now. They have to be able to have that level of topic discussion with their learners, teach them when they're a preceptor, when they're an RPD so many months from now. So I would be, you know, I wouldn't be doing them, you know, the service of being there their RPD, their preceptor, if I'm not setting them up for success in, in, in that way. Absolutely. I think one of the, one of the things I find the hardest to teach is like the context. And I like that you talked about like what happened pre Merino trial to stimulate the Merino trial. And then thinking about like context of like patient population versus your patient population here. And like, those are the things that are sometimes really hard to tease out and teach a resident. Like you can go through them and you could talk about them, but to really apply them is like a, a hard concept. And, um, you know, I'm glad you, you touched on that, that like context, essentially that broader context is really important. Yeah. And I think one of the things, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a little bit more removed now from infectious disease from the infectious disease world, but like in oncology, we're so set on like, you know, just the, the abstract view of like looking at survival of a drug, progression-free survival, but really, I think understanding the methodology behind like clinical trial design, is it is it the right active comparator? Are they using placebo? Like some of those discussions on how trialists design trials is really critical in understanding like how you take that forward. But in the same breath, you know, it, it, it can be really challenging for for residents to, to be to this level of expectation where you have topic discussions on whatever rotation, you have all of these longitudinal issues. What do you do differently to help balance the rigor of these topics and integrate them into a into the clinical work of the resident or in into the longitudinal responsibility of your resident? I mean, residents don't just work 24-7? No. I uh, I think <laughs> <laughs> Seems like, you know, we've gotten to a point where residents are okay to work 22 hours of the, <laughs> once you cross the 22 hour line, like it becomes, ah, oh, man, I'm a little tired. Um, so in those last two hours, you know, for refreshment, <laughs> balance it in the 22 hour time frame. Yeah, I think part of the answer to your question is, you know, when you're thinking about the level of learner and the type of topic you do, if I'm doing an ES, like I break down you know, topic discussions for for PGY2s into doing one topic on ESBL. So if you do an hour topic discussion on ESBLs, that gives them the, the opportunity to do such a deep dive into the literature on that um, so that they have, and they do one to two topic discussions a week. So we're not doing like these deep dive topic discussions every day. So the expectation isn't, and we're setting them out for the full rotation at the beginning of the rotation so that they have that time to, to set themselves up to kind of put put that together, think about it throughout the rotation, apply it to their patients. So it's not like I'm saying, okay, tomorrow, I expect you to stay here till midnight tonight and, and prepare this so that we can have an hour long topic discussion tomorrow and you need to put 16 articles together for this topic discussion, right? So it's like, okay, three weeks from now, I need you to put this hour long topic discussion together. And oftentimes I'm, I'm helping kind of support them with like, these are the, 
the minimum requirements for that topic discussion. I'm not giving them minimal information about what needs to go into it. I'm setting them up for these are the things at least that you need to include in that topic discussion mm -hmm. so that they have an idea of what they need to get. And if and then if they aren't really sure, they'll often reach back out and say, I included these articles. In fact, most residents do this. <laughs> I've included these articles. Does it seem like that's what you're thinking about? Or am I missing anything? Um, because they want to make sure that they've gotten everything, you know? Yeah, that's um, a great think... point, Corinne. I was actually going to ask, do you ask, <laughs> do you give them like, say, I want you to look at these five trials or, or you make them come back to you with stuff? Yeah, no, usually they come back because I'm usually like, you know, you have to at least include X, Y, or Z, you know, make sure that you're, you know, prepping at things again, if they need to include the Merino trial for ESBL, but you want to be sure that you understand why the Merino trial was implemented and what led up to that. And so then they'll come back and say, well, I was reading about these trials, which I think were the ones that really prompted the Merino trial. And they'll come back with that, making sure that they didn't miss anything pre-Merino. Mm -hmm. um, and so th that part of it is not like, I don't have like, these are the ones you have to include prior to, but some back and forth of, you know, Piptazo versus carbapenems back and forth prior, or, you know, make sure that you're comparing cefepime for ESBLs and, uh, you know, a couple of cefepime versus carbapenems, a couple, it's just to like get them so that they're, they know what they're looking for. They know what they need to include in order to really to have that discussion. And I think you bring up a good point, right? Like, I, I think one of the things that I found, I, I found and find successful is, right, if you give a learner X number of articles, and as they progress, slowly, if they're, you know, getting better and more comfortable, they'll come to you with the article. And, you know, I think one of the things I, I, I you know, I do this longitudinal journal club for my residents, you know, at the beginning, I say, okay, this is a good article to do, right? And over time, I want them to be able to find that article, to be able to find that that piece of data that it, why it's important, why we should talk about it, why we should bring this to a and and, and discuss this as a as a preceptor to, to learner. Um, so I think over time that that in itself shows success. You know, one of the things I was yeah. thinking about while I, I have been on paternity leave for a while, I know like your two services had like 26 patients uh, across your two services recently. So like, how do you expect a PGY2 who's covering 26 patients to also like, especially a brand new PGY2, maybe one that started, let's say 20, 30 something days ago, how do they cover all those patients and do these topics? Like that just seems, that's intense, dude. A PGY2 covers all my patients. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, that's, the early that's in my the year? assumption. Yeah, that's my yeah. assumption. So, uh, so I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so we definitely um, apply a, a quality over quantity approach. You know, when a resident, when a PGY two even, but any resident starts on AST or ID consult or you know MPID, any of our rotations for ID, they will certainly start with a couple of patients and then build. Um, I truly don't think they they are able to spend the time needed to review their patients in detail, including the literature needed to understand the concepts of, of making those decisions, exactly what we're talking about with doing those deep dive topics on their patients, diving into literature, if they have, if they're trying to cover too many patients, um, they wouldn't have the time in the day. They're, they're still building that baseline understanding. They're still building their literature knowledge. Um, so early on in the year, they need to just take it slow and build that up. But do you feel, do you feel that residents coming in feel an obligation by the end of your rotation to take on every single patient, right? Like they want to be, they want to be Corinne Brady, right? They, they want to be <laughs> that person. In their dreams, Dave. No. <laughs> 
they try sometimes to try to build up too quickly. Sometimes when they do that, I'll just start asking them a bunch of questions about the literature for all their patients. And then they'll realize that they built up too quickly because then they don't know the answer to the, all the literature. So they'll say, oh, this is my plan for this patient. I'm like, okay, what's the literature to support that? And if they don't have the answer, then they built up too quickly because they haven't had the time to dive into all their patients, right? And then other times they just try to pick up because that sometimes they see the second patient with MRSA bacteremia and the third patient with MRSA bacteremia because half of our patients have MRSA bacteremia, but then they haven't ask the question of, well, what do you do when the patient has persistent MRSA bacteremia? And what do you do when they ha have treatment failure? What do you do? And so you start asking those questions and then they realize that they have only just, just seen the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the MRSA bacteremia topic discussion that we need to have. And then we're diving into that deep topic discussion too. And so it all builds from there. And so they, they back off and they're like, you're right. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have taken all those patients this morning. <laughs> Let's go back to the drawing board and I'll go back to just my too. <laughs> I'm going to flip it one more time, Trin. So I guess in a, in a perfect world, you being an ID expert, you know everything there is to know about infectious disease. <laughs> um, I think of myself and, and resonate with myself sometimes where, where a, a learner of any time might, might ask me a question about like a, a pediatric leukemia or how do I manage like a pediatric type of leukemia? And I, I run into the position of like, well, I really don't know that answer. So how do you still push, I guess, this high level discussion in maybe a topic that you don't fully, I don't want to say understand, but maybe like it's something you're not as comfortable for. Maybe you don't know the, the 10 or 15 trials behind like how to treat X, Y, and Z or a, a new type of infection comes out, right? How do, how do you, um, how do you balance that or, or how do you handle that? Maybe it's three days after Merino came out. <laughs> Um, well, you know, on Twitter, you can see the second it comes out and you just read it. Um, so anyway, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Twitter, there's a godsend. Yeah. <laughs> I think one thing I will say, one of the main, I don't want to say the main, one of the things I love about teaching is how much I learn every day from my learners. Right. So they teach me things every day, which is invaluable. Um, but I will also say if I know, and this was certainly you know, certainly something I saw much more often when I was fresh out of fresh out of residency myself, I was prepping for my topic discussions with my learners. If I wasn't sure about, you know, what I wanted, um, I would prep as their, as their preceptor. I wanted to make sure that I was just as prepared to have the discussion with them as they were to have the discussion with me. And over time, after having that exact same topic discussion over and over again, I didn't have to prep as much. But I certainly learn things every day from my learners in every topic discussion, and I want them to teach me new things, right? Um, but if it's a topic discussion that I'm less comfortable with, I'm just going to go exactly back to that same exact that same exact process. I'm going to have to prep for it. I'm going to pull literature myself. I'm going to have that exact same, and I'm going to challenge myself to learn about the topic discussion in order to teach it. I mean, I mean these these are my colleagues. These are my future, um, you know, these are my future colleagues, my current colleagues, I work with them, they're going to teach me things. And, and I'm, I welcome that I welcome learning from my from my learners. Yeah, and I guess do you do you ever feel, I don't know, I, I, I'm trying to I struggle, sometimes I struggle with finding the right adjective to, to describe it. But do you ever feel like, um, defeated as a preceptor knowing you can't I guess, or, or I guess I'll play devil's advocate. Let's say, let's say I'm, I'm precepting. How do you not feel defeated when a resident asks you something 
and you have a feeling to say, you know, I don't know the answer to that, right? How do you, I guess, flip that? And what have you done over the last few years to help build your, your skill set so you don't feel like that maybe? I think early on, I was, that was a fear. I think that's probably a fear of many people. And, and that certainly was a fear of mine. And, and I often would say like, why don't you look that up and get back to me? <laughs> and that's, the, <laughs> that's the easy answer, you know, when, when you're in that situation. But I think over time, I think, I think they, I think it's a genuine, genuinely a good thing for them to hear when you say, that's a great question. You know, I, I don't know. Let's, I mean, I said to my student today, I don't know the answer. Like I'm having you and I are going to both look this up because I, I think that we need to know this to answer this, to help our patient. And so we both were looking into this, this question to try to support finding the literature to answer this question for our patient for rounds. And I think that gives them a completely different sense of, you know, desire to find the answer because they know I don't know. And they're trying to to help me and I'm trying to help them. And we're both having the same goal of helping the patient. Um, I think that learners need to know what we don't know and, and they need to know that we're human too and, and that we're all on the same page sometimes just trying to get there. I think I'm, I, like, I'm like resonating internally um, with like, uh, you know, I myself was was lucky enough to have you as, as my infectious disease preceptor at, at, at BMC. And, you know, I, I specifically remember one time, like, Corinne, like we, we have, I, the attending asked me this question, I don't really know. And it was, can't remember the exact organism, but you're like, huh, I don't think I've ever seen that either. And you said, pull up a chair. And we literally sat down and like, I, I vaguely remember going through and looking for data to say, what can we use for this organism for this type of infection? And, you know, so that, that story really resonated with me. I think to like, put it back into like precepting terms, like what you're doing is like, you're modeling like the ability to be like vulnerable and say like I don't know the answer to that and then modeling what you should do to find a solution and and I think um it's really good to hear because I, I know so many young preceptors that are like it's like the fake it till you make it model like you have to be an expert the day you come out and if if you're not an expert then like you're a complete failure. And it's like, that, that's not true. Uh, you could be practicing for 15 years or, or have 10 years of experience clinically practicing and still not know things because medicine will always change. And, and I think one of the things we owe our residents and our learners and students is um, we owe them that honesty and then the modeling and coaching to say like, look, we don't know either. Let's, let's work on it together. So Corinne, thank you for, uh, Thank you for saying that because I think um, it's something that I see a lot where new preceptors will feel like, God, I can't let them see that I don't know this answer, even if it feels like a basic question. Um, sometimes it's a new disease that you run across. Absolutely. I mean, they keep renaming these organisms. I think it's going <laughs> to. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a PCP guy. Uh, I'm <laughs> really struggling to, to change to PJP, so. <laughs> Thanks for all that, Corinne. And, and I guess one of the things I, I think about is as you've developed yourself professionally, are there are there pearls um, that help you in this preparation? Or or maybe more specifically, you know, as you think about a, a residency program longitudinally or even even a group of, of of rotations as a student to to build the learning and build topic discussions more longitudinally um, as a for a learner. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think about how much the resident, especially, you know, our ID residents have throughout the year that we're often thinking about 
checking off those boxes, making sure we're hitting a lot of those topics throughout the year. Um, and making sure that those those are touched on throughout learning experiences, patient-specific um, topic discussions. And we often focus on those within specific rotations or again, within a patient-specific experience. Or um, if, a, if we have a quality improvement project that's focused on a topic, my resident last year, we had a, a whole year focused on ESBL. So having a lot of the early part of his year focusing on hitting those, you know, deep dive topics on ESBL. And then we don't necessarily have to dive into those again on his rotation because we hit those on his QI project. Or, um, you know, another thing I think about is I have a, a, a topic discussion on um, a fungal infections. And I, I have that, that happens with all my learners. I have it slightly different, but it's, it's such an important topic discussion. That's so valuable for my students, my, my PGY ones, my PGY twos. And I, whether or not they pick that as sometimes I give it up as an option. I think that it's, I push that as a topic discussion because of the, the importance of it and how applicable it is. But I, the students, they really learn more about the drugs, the adverse effects. Um, PGY1s, they learn a little bit more about the applicability, the disease states. And then my PGY2, we like split it up into this ridiculous longitudinal topic discussion almost throughout the year where we dive into each individual. Um, we kind of flip it around rather than focusing more on the drugs. We focus more on the individual uh, disease states and how to, what drug treats that disease state rather than focusing on the drugs and their spectrums. Um, and so I think those kind of pearls, I don't know if that's helpful to anybody, but that's what we do. Um, and I think it, it's worked for us. Um, you know, they don't always, other things for my PGY2, you know, we have, I've had Taco Tuesday topic discussions um, and we've gone to, done them over tacos um, out, you know, this is pre-COVID, but so hopefully now um, we'll be able to do that again. But, um, you know, I think sometimes getting outside of that environment of the being in the hospital, having those topic discussions at work, I think kind of stepping away and having those outside of the hospital, I think can also um, be a nice, a nice change of pace as well. So I'm hearing two, you kill two birds with one stone, one of the oldest sayings <laughs> in the book of, of helping, you know, the resident balance some of the, the more longitudinal things and not and not feel obligated to just hit one hit it just because it's a topic on the list and also find unique ways to to really set set the topic discussions apart and not make them feel so structured in a way that makes it maybe more engaging for learning yeah, yeah. I, um I, this actually brought up a really good question Karen as you were talking about like the student fungal expectations or pgy1 fungal expectations and then like clearly the pgy2 expectations are, are like you know 100 times more uh, in depth, like, how did you develop that process over time as like a professional to start thinking about like, this is what a student should do. This is what a one should do. This is what a two should do. Like, what was your growth like that over time? If that's something you can reflect on, um, certainly might not be able to, I'm asking this off the cuff. So, uh, I, no, I understand I mean, if that's hard. <laughs> I think it, it just came to me over time when I, so I taught I taught a fungal lecture when I was a PGY2 and I created a handout for students when I was teaching that lecture. And I realized how helpful that was for them when they were learning about the drugs and how just the focus of but that 
basically the focus of the learners at that level. And then as I taught more and more and kind of just learned about where they focus and what learners need to know at different levels, the students often are being asked more about the dosing and the side effects and the spectrum. And, and so I just created a blank template of that table and I gave it to my learners. And I basically was like my, my students. And I said, you know, for the topic discussion, I want you to, and that's how we focus that topic. And then over time, I just created it a bit more for the PGY1s, including a bit more literature and a little bit more focus. And then the PGY2s, we just flipped it around to the disease states and went with it. I think it just it just came over time of experiences I had, what I realized mm -hmm. may benefit them, and just based on their what the questions they were being asked on rounds and things that they found to be more helpful. That's um that reminds me of like a, a great pearl that um I always try to remind new preceptors. It's like topics aren't set and forget it. It's not like you you learn a topic once, you come up with one structure and like you're married to that topic and the way you do it from now until like the day you leave clinical pharmacy practice, which is hopefully more than 10 years, but um that's another topic for another day. Um <laughs> like you should be reevaluating these on a regular basis. Um, uh, you know, I I, I like yeah, reevaluate them as new literature comes out, as you know, you get feedback from a resident or a student or whatnot. Um, you know, reevaluate what's effective, what's not effective, and how to modify. I think that's a, a great um, point, Corinne. Thank you. Yeah. And as and as we wind down on our on our session here today, Corinne, I, I thank you for for being such a and a, a great a great expert on this field. And I hope our listeners got a lot from from you um because i know i did even in this short period of time I, i've always looked up to you and, and have taken your advice and, and molded my own practice but you know one of the things we've asked all of our guests um is what is one thing you took from a past preceptor or mentor even that's been incorporated into your own practice yeah so i think about this um a lot and we we created teaching philosophies a couple years back at bmc and and i created mine a little bit around this experience when i was a pgy2 uh, my rpd um ryan um uh in case you're listening <laughs> um <laughs> we had um this he was a wonderful rpd in general but this specific experience stuck, stuck out to me um that we stayed late to do like, you know, calculations, aminoglycoside calculations for this patient. And I just remembered this specific experience because I remembered it felt like he was taking his personal time to teach me something that I just felt was something I really needed to know. And I felt very stressed out at the time. It was early in my PGY2 year. And I'm like, I need to know about aminoglycoside dosing. I'm a PGY2 resident. I'm going to be an IT pharmacist and I need to know how to do this. And I don't understand it all. You know, and anyone who knows anything about me now is like, I'm the person who runs around the hospital writing kinetics all over every whiteboard in the hospital. So um, the irony around that. But anyway, I think I may have taken that that experience a bit too far early in my career where I was like the one who is always at the hospital coming in early, staying too late, um, always dedicating all the time. And I still dedicate a lot of my time to my learners, a lot of time to my patients and uh, my, my residents in recent years can certainly attest that we've had, you know, Zoom topic discussions after we got home because it's just what time it worked out. And, you know, it was good. It was good experience. Um, so I think taking that, I felt like it was really valuable um, to, to let my learners know um, that 
like my personal time, I can still use my personal time sometimes to teach them because they're important to me and that, and that's important for them to know. And, and that experience meant a lot to me, but I also had to sort of back that away a little bit and also let my, myself know it's okay if I don't spend all my personal time at the hospital and teaching and, and find that balance, which I think took me numerous years after um, I graduated to find that right balance, but, and I'm still working on it maybe. Um, but I think it's, I think it's a great, a great thing that I, I really took forward to let my learners know that they mean enough to me that I will even spend some of my personal, my personal time teaching them as well. I've been quietly laughing on you over here. Uh, like listening to Corinne talk about balance and work-life balance and, and using her personal time as, as someone who shared an office with her for many years. Um, you have gotten better at it, I will say. So, so strong work, Dr. Brady. I'm glad to see, I'm glad to see you, uh, find a bit more balance, but, um, I was always amazed at how much energy you got out of it. Um, so much so that our residents made a video of you very excitedly doing kinetics on a board after hours. Um, and that still <laughs> like holds true and, and is actually the exact reason I wanted to, to ask you to do this podcast today is because like, I know topics and like having these discussions just light you up. Uh, and so um, thank you for sharing. Thank you for coming on the podcast and um, talking to Dave and I, uh, you know, the pleasure was all ours and um we hope you have a wonderful evening. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Brady. Thanks again for listening to Precept Responsibly. I'm excited to introduce our newest section uh, to the podcast. We thought it would be helpful to have a brand new preceptor, someone who just graduated is getting into educating uh, pharmacists, provide you guys with a summary uh, of what their takeaway points were uh, from today's episode. So uh, without further ado, uh, our typically behind the scenes producer, uh, brand new graduate Spencer Sutton, uh, is going to be providing you with Spencer Sutton's summary. Uh, welcome everyone to our first installment of In Summary with Sutton, where I, uh, the precept responsibly uh, producer, go through my main takeaways. Um, every day on the street, people come up to me and say, Spencer, you are a new preceptor. How do you turbocharge your topic discussions for PGY2s? Thinking back to what I learned during this uh, this nice 37-minute podcast, uh, my first thought is I need to keep my topic discussions flexible. Um, it is excellent to you know schedule that uh, ahead of time. But at the same time, when the opportunity arises, seize it. Discuss the literature with your uh, students, your residents, your learners in real time. In addition to that, you want to fixate on the one topic everyone knows, the Merino trial. And you want to really dissect it, talk about how it works and how it doesn't. So that not only you, but your resident can go on to bring up the Merino trial in every conversation they have about the treatment of infectious diseases. That literature topic came up a lot as well. Um, I think that is essential to top discussions and moving forward, I want to make sure that I'm incorporating that information. In order to do so, I need to understand all the literature. Maybe not all the literature, but I have to have a mastery. So as we're discussing these, this literature and this topic, we can do a deep dive, figure out how it's applicable to specific patients to the point that my PGY2s can then teach this information in just a few short months. With that, I can't overwhelm my learners. So I have to focus on quality, not quantity, potentially even by giving them just a couple patients to work up during their day-to-day -day rotations. We can then focus full literature and really interact with these patient cases in real time. 
Um, in addition to that, I'd say I can learn from my learners um, in that this journey, this development of learning how to master top discussions isn't something that's going to happen overnight. As a young learner, as a young continuing preceptor, I need to be able to develop my own craft, figure out what works and what doesn't, integrate high level literature into high level topic discussions and take my residents to the next level. That's what I got from this topic. How about you? Hope you all enjoyed today's episode. We thank you for listening. Uh, I just want to remind people, if you have an idea for an episode or you want to drop an audio comment or question, uh, you know, record yourself 30 seconds uh, on your phone. Send it to us uh, at preceptresponsibly at gmail.com. We also are on social media, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Find all of our episodes on your favorite podcast providers. We also have these as videos on YouTube. Today's episode was produced by Spencer Sutton. Music by Alex Kroll. That's it for Precept Responsibly. I'm Jason Mordino. And I'm Dave Hughes. Until next time, thanks all for listening. <laughs> I forgot the words. <laughs> I'm nervous. Is this how you feel?